Welcome to Third Paradigm. We are your hosts. I'm Clarity, and with me as always is Nuance. Third Paradigm is a digital third place, which is where people practice the art of conversation. The hosts and guests come from all backgrounds and different ways of thinking. We at Third Paradigm will discuss ideas and the facts of life with respect while pushing the envelope. Full disclaimer, hosts and guests will share, will share their opinions. The opinions of our guests are strictly their own and do not represent the opinions of Third Paradigm. However, when we, the host, share facts, we will back them up with evidence. If we are wrong, we will make it right as soon as possible because we believe in practicing integrity. Welcome to Third Paradigm. So, Clarity, what episode are we on today? We are on our, it's a hump day PSA, and we're discussing uh, National Gun Day. Cool. Uh, who are our guests today? Mm. Yeah, so with us today, we have uh, Dana, who is with uh, the TYT uh, Army and the People's Party. We have uh, Chantel, who is the second vice president of the North Macomb NAACP chapter. And we have Fractal. Welcome, everyone. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yep. Thank you. Thank you for having me back. It's good to be here. Welcome back. Really good to have you. So for clarity, let's go over some house rules and our structure for this evening. Um, please mute your mic when you're not speaking. This gives respect to other participants and avoids the feedback and background noise. Because this is a digital podcast, uh, call lagging may cause interruptions. We apologize for this. It is beyond our control. Uh, we will direct the questions to an individual participant and then open it up to the floor. Each question will take roughly five minutes to answer in total, not five minutes per person per question. And then uh, when answering or commenting, uh, we just ask that you announce yourself so the listeners know who's speaking and this will include the host. We'll try our best. Um, so the last rule that we always have is um, to please respect each other, refrain from insulting others here today. Um, we may have disagreements, and that's wonderful, but we ask that everyone keeps it civil. Everybody ready to go? Let's go. Yep, I'm good. Yep, we're good. Yeah, let's do it. Awesome. So we have a icebreaker that we're going to start off with today. And our icebreaker question is if you had a had to pick one food item to eat for the rest of your life, what would it be? And this one is open to the floor. Mm. As for myself, <laughs> um, in Chantel's world, uh, there's there is no such thing as a favorite, but lately what I think I could always get down with is uh, Italian rice balls, like the arancinis. That sounds really good. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> That's such a good answer. Yes. Especially because there's so many varieties. You don't have to go with just one. So, mm. kind of cheating. <laughs> <laughs> This is How Fractal. You, oh. oh, okay. No, go ahead. <laughs> uh, uh, this is Fractal. I guess it would be steak. Red no, this is, this is Dana and Fractal. You just took one of my options. <laughs> I was going to say steak or either. I, what I've decided is potatoes because you can do so many things with potatoes. 
you can make French fries, you can make mash them up, you can do so many things. And being Irish, it fits for me. So, Amen. Um, definitely the potatoes uh, is what I was going to go with. Wow, that is a really versatile food item, so good for you. Okay, How about you, Nuance? Well, that's a hard one. Um, I probably would lean... I'm very biased with Asian dishes just because, I mean, any international dishes always get me, but I always seem to default to Asian dishes. Um, if I had to choose one, it would probably be pho, honestly. I, I was going to say, that's pho. such a good one. It's so good. I love the noodles. Yeah. Yeah, it's like chicken noodle soup. It's like the, you know, it's like one of those kind of warm home feelings. It's just, com it's just straight up comfort food. Um... Hmm. I was trying to think for myself. I mean, I think I have to go with the easy out and say something like pizza, just because you can put, like, anything on it. Well, yeah. Like, the world is your oyster. <laughs> I've heard of that once, and I thought it was one of the funniest quotes I've ever heard. It's, they were like, the world is your oyster, and I'm allergic to selfish. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, that is beautiful. <laughs> At least with pizza, you have the option, though, to, like, get a bunch of different toppings. Yeah, exactly. That's, it's like a burger. You can turn a lot of stuff into burgers. And put so you never get on. truly bored. Right, right, exactly. Exactly. I think it's similar with fun. Like, yes, it's broth, but, like, there's so many things you can put in it, you mm -hmm. know? You can have, like, beef, you can have tenderloin, you can have chicken, there's endless. And then the, all the millions yeah. of veggies to choose from. You ever have it with fresh mint leaves in it? Mm, mint. It's really good with mint. <laughs> yes. But... I love that we're all just... No, see, now like, I don't feel so bad about her. Yeah. Huh? I think we all just chose something that's kind of versatile. Like, you could prepare it in a variety of ways, so it's like you're not going to get bored of it. Now I don't feel so bad about saying, like, yeah, Aaron Cheese, because, like, they come with all different kinds of fillings inside. So, like, I mean, it's kind, of, it's kind of true. I mean, we never specified in the question exactly how do you make it. I mean, it's just yeah. like food. Yeah. <laughs> There's yeah. all There's all different cuts of steak. Oh, yeah. So and I'm hungry, hungry so <laughs> <laughs> no, we're all hungry. Uh, yeah. I, I think we're gonna need to have like a digital like eat out for Third Paradigm. Like all of our guests could get on, and we'll all just start eating food in front of each other and be like, "Yeah, yeah. this is a digital picnic." Digital <laughs> 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 picnic, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> the audio version of like a mom. <laughs> <laughs> A digital potluck. Yes. Yes. Uh, if only yeah, we could actually send each other the dishes in the mail, that would be a true potluck. Yeah. Right. Like, like, like Hello Fresh or something, yeah. Mm. <laughs> or Blue Apron. Send somebody some Blue Aprons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or Dash something. Right. So, None of these are advertising for my house away. to another person's house. <laughs> <laughs> that was a really good vice breaker. So we should have a quick disclaimer we want to share with our listeners uh, before we start diving into this. Um, we want to just let people know this episode is solely a discussion, not a pro or anti anything. We respect the rights of our guests. 
We understand this is a particularly sensitive issue for some and want to express our gratitude for our guests for the coriander. For our guests for the candor. I, I can hear you. <laughs> okay, we're still thinking about food. <laughs> we're still thinking about food. <laughs> Thank you, guests, for the coriander. Um, okay, Claire, we're going to start with one. I'm just seeing food everywhere. Yes. Okay, so as we get into it, um, does anyone with us today own a firearm for hunting or self defense? Or has at least like practiced shooting a firearm? Why or why not? And I think I'm going to listen this question to Chantal first. All right, thank you so much. Um, personally, I do not own any firearms. Um, I have plenty of family who hunts. I, I know plenty of people who own one for self-defense. I respect that, um, but I personally have um, had bad encounters with firearms, so I'm a bit traumatized. <laughs> um, I haven't even bothered trying to learn how to shoot or like operate one because uh, when I was younger, I was it was about seven when somebody came to my house and tried to rob us, and I was held at gunpoint, <laughs> um, like handgun at my head. Basically they were threatening, like they were threatening my mother to either give them money or I would die. And um, yeah, I, 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 like I still remember details very vividly from that moment, even now, like almost 20 years later. But, um, but yeah, it, it's based on that experience. I am just too, too fearful of them and uh, especially knowing how accidents can happen. So I just feel like if I'm going to do self-defense, it's going to be with a different kind of uh, kind of weapon at, at hand. Yeah. Yeah. Well, th thank you so much for opening up about that. I know that that can be hard. Yeah. So thank you. Yeah. Nope. Um, we can open that question up to the floor now. Uh, yeah, this is Dana. I do own, uh, currently own a firearm. I grew up owning lots of firearms in our family, hunting. I grew up in rural Texas uh, for the most part and um, used it to hunt when I was a kid. I, I very much, um, I know how to field strip my gun and clean it and the proper use of it. Um, and I am very much a um, proponent of a person who's very, I know people who actually own a gun to, to realize its uh, its power and to to be safe with it. So, uh, like Chantel, I, I that I can't imagine. I mean, that should, had to have been totally traumatizing. I didn't have that experience. Instead, I had an experience when I was that age of of actually getting to know guns in a safe way. So, um, so I do still own one, but because I live in the city, I don't uh, any of my hunting guns. I, I don't own any more. Uh, there with my other members of my family, and um, I keep mine for self-protection, but I also know how to keep it properly, and I know the danger of the gun and the weapon itself. So um, I'll leave it at that. Thank you for sharing that. That's... Yeah, I totally respect that. Thank you, Dana. Thank oh, you. Sorry, this is Chantel. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I, I totally respect that. I, I definitely think it's 
like one of those kinds of people where it's like, yeah, I'm totally fine with it. Like, again, I know plenty of people who do keep it safe. Like my grandmother served in the army, so she right. knew how to, you know, take one apart and clean it and put it all back together. And she would do it faster than any of the girls in her barracks. But, uh, <laughs> and she was 32 compared to like the 18, 19 year olds. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's uh, like, you know, I was, I was raised to know about it, but like, but yeah, obviously with that early experience with it, which I feel like it would make me more comfortable had I not really had that in the beginning. It would take a lot of, um, I guess, training to get out of that um, or sort of desensitizing to get out of that. But yeah, I, at the same time, you know, I try to see things from other people's point of view and it's like, yeah, you're taught in a safe way. Like my brother was taught by my uncle in a totally safe way and, uh, you know, they went deer hunting, they went, um, you know, and it's, it's like, yeah, then that's great. Um, so it, it's, so yeah, I can totally see it from that perspective and, and totally, it's like, yeah, don't, I'll, by all means, don't, don't, like, don't feel like you can't or that I'm offended by it. Cause like, again, people have different experiences and I think that's kind of how we, you know, come to understand each other is embracing those differences. Absolutely. Thank you. How about you, Thank Fractal? You so um, so yeah, this is Fractal. I, uh, I was always, um, not a fan of guns, um, growing up in the inner city, just hearing gunshots, going to a school where we had raids of our lockers because of gang violence, um, due to poverty. And then possible shootings because of gang activity, having to get out of school early, walking home with a friend. I never wanted to own one. My father is um, a vet from, he was drafted during the Vietnam War, so I knew he had one. And he kept it safe. I never, I haven't seen it till I was an adult, till recently. Um, first time I shot a gun was 2017. And it's kind of sad that it took the circumstances of the political climate to get me in a place where I would try to get comfortable. So I shot a 22 with a friend of mine, then I shot a Glock and then a SIG with a double spring. And so I wasn't as scared anymore. And then when the election came around and the pandemic hit, I mean, I already suspected with the election itself, but then the pandemic just drove everything up. I was still scared to own one in the house. Like I never wanted to have one on my person because it's like, where am I going? Where I need one. I can understand there are times where that may happen and I'm not against guns per se. I know people who do it for hunting and they hunt venison and there's a pastor I know that does it and he enjoys, you know, the hunt and the kill, but he also uses the meat and eats it and feeds it to the poor. And so I've always respected that, but, um, when I actually purchased one, I wasn't so scared anymore, I guess, because I at least felt like I have it in case I need it, and I hope I never need to, and I can just hunt with it maybe, if at all. So I'm still kind of in a different place with guns, because like, I understand the necessity for it. It's just kind of sad. So that's just where I am. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Nuance, do you want to take the next question? Yep, I can definitely do that. Uh, question number two is, do you think gun ownership and exercising the Second Amendment is synonymous with being American? 
do you believe it is properly enforced? And this question is going to go to Dana. I do not believe that ownership and exercise, well, exercising the Second Amendment is, I would phrase it differently. Um, you know, you have that right, but um, people use that phrase too often uh, to basically give themselves a reason to have a gun when they shouldn't. Um, uh, so I don't think it's synonymous with being an American. I think it's it's seen that way by a lot of people, um, a lot of conservatives, uh, a lot of people in some of the rural areas um, as well. They 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 find it. Uh, they think it's their right, and, and you have to exercise every single right all the time. Even though like not everybody always exercises their First Amendment right at every single part of the day, they think that well, no, that's a different thing with the Second Amendment. So I. I mean, just like your voting rights, you you exercise that on voting days or when you can do that. It's not an everyday thing with they think it is uh, synonymous with the Second Amendment. So I don't agree that it's uh, the synonymous with being an American, and I don't believe that uh, it's being properly enforced. I mean, we I know that there's a question on the history uh, of it later, uh, but I'll just touch on it briefly here. You know, in the beginning, it, there was a lot of racist history behind this. Um, the Second Amendment, the, the, it was also trying to, you know, hey, we have a, in case we need to rise up against our government, you know, we, we, we need to be able to have bare arms so that we can be a well-trained militia. They never mentioned the militia part. And well, where did that militia came from? It has very racist background. So um, I don't believe it's being enforced properly. And um, there needs to be some big changes in, in how the message is, is being put out there. So that, uh, I'll leave it at that. Thank you for sharing those perspectives. That is a really good way to kind of look at that. And I also just want to say I admire that, I, that notion of exercising your right every single day versus like it's written down, but that doesn't necessarily mean you have to do it every single waking period. I, that was a really interesting perspective. So thank you for that. It is now open up to the floor. So, uh, Chantel here, I, I definitely respect that. I, I know I was pretty much going to answer very similarly to that. Would the question have been posed to me about it? It's like, yeah, you, you, just because you have the right doesn't mean you have to own one. Um, and, and yeah, especially what you said, like, the, like nobody brings up the militia part. <laughs> it's like, I know. Um, but yeah, it's, um. To me, it's tricky about that, where it's like, well, just like you said about people not, like, just because you can get one doesn't mean you should. And there are definitely people out there, or like you, like, uh, like Fractal was saying earlier, like, I hope I never have to use it. And something that both my grandmother and my very pro-gun uncle would teach me is that, you know, as far as guns for self-defense, it's like, People who are responsible with them will tell you they never want to shoot, have to use it. Um, like any of your cops out there that are armed, it's like they they do not want to have a reason to use it. You know, like the people who are really truly responsible about it. Like those are the kinds of people that, you know, you can trust to be safe about it. And uh, And yeah, I think it's very important for that to be like not just as some kind of power trip or, you know, trying to compensate for something, 
uh, like own it because you know you have a specific need to like uh, I guess is what I'm trying to get at. So yeah, I I, I totally respect and, and agree with that with what you had to say, Dana. I completely agree on that. And also, you kind of touched on it a little bit. I just wanted to also give you um, some more props. The context of the time that it was written, the well-regulated militia was referring to the rights of the citizens to protect themselves against the British because there wasn't a central military at that current at that time. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times people have taken a lot of these, they're very open-ended statements on these documents to where does it still apply today is it something that we should look more deeper into do we take them absolutely literally so that's the whole for discussion debate and something i just personally wanted to kind of throw out there a friend told me um and they're they're very neutral on guns as well but one of the things kind of touching what you were mentioning chantal is when somebody's willing to have a gun one of the things they have to think about is are you willing to kill another human and that's an easy question for people to say, like, yeah, if I'm defending myself and stuff. But then I would also person, this is just my perspective, to follow up. Would you be willing to kill another person, regardless of the context, if you're defending yourself or not? And do you have enough confidence that the criminal justice system would be on your side? The reason why I stress that is because as what we've, what we've been seeing, it's, it's so luck of the draw. So if a person's like, I, it's my right to own it, it's my right to shoot, and I am willing to shoot someone to protect myself and my family, on the outside, that is completely understandable. But as we've seen, do you feel, the follow-up question should be, do you feel enough confidence in the criminal justice system to protect you underneath that? Would you feel that you would not go to prison or get it blown to where it becomes, oh, this person killed somebody, we got to put them on death row. So there's a lot of follow-up questions that follows after that. If someone was willing to own a gun for those reasons, not talking about hunting and all that. So yes, thank you all for sharing that, those perspectives. Those were very, very good. So So, um, moving on to the next question. Um, we have a little statistic here. Um, the University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine published a study back in 2009 via the American Journal of Public Health on gun ownership. Um, in Philadelphia specifically, almost five Philadelphians were shot every day of the study. Um, the quote from the study is, the study, uh, this study estimates that people with a gun were 4.5 times more likely to be shot in an assault than those not possessing a gun. The main focus was to determine whether possessing a firearm safeguards against harm or or whether the possession of a firearm would promote a false sense of security. So um, our question um, is, do you feel this is an accurate picture of gun ownership Or do you feel gun ownership is just more likely in areas where the threat is real and relevant? And is that what explains these numbers rather than the proximity to the firearms alone? Um, And we'll shoot that question to Fractal. Uh, Yeah, this is Fractal. Um, I feel like this kind of ties back into the last question a bit. Um, All I would say is I think when you look at other countries, some people don't have the right to defend themselves and just the possibility to be able to defend yourself is a form of freedom. So like, I don't know, I think I do agree with Dana that 
the and everyone saying that the um, the viewpoint is is that that's what it means to be an American is to be able to own a gun, shoot a gun, and whatnot. However, I would say that it's, that's not the complete picture. And I think the same thing is to be said about this study, um, noting that Philadelphia is um, a very urban place that has a majority, or at least a very happy black population uh, where there is poverty. And so I don't think that just because you have a gun, you're more likely to get shot. It's more so the activity that might be happening around you and some of the people that do individually participate in activities that might put them in more danger. Um, so, because the same could be said about if you're in a rural, rural area, does, does that count for the same thing? Because if you're in a rural area, a lot of people have guns and they go and hunt because the environment, the economic environment may not have a lot of jobs, so that's how they survive is off the land. So I think that this is just too, I feel like this study just was not done um, in proper context. So for Philadelphia, maybe that happens, but why? Why does it happen? Is it just because the gun is there or is it because, because of what is happening around people who have the guns? Sure. Yeah, thank you for sharing your perspective on that. Um, I think we've got like a minute left on the question, so if anyone has anything else they'd like to add. This is Dana, I'll just add real quick a, 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 an analogy um, to basically back up what uh, Fractal was saying is you, know, you also have a whole lot more um, fatalities from car accidents in urban areas because there are more cars in the road because there are more, you know, um, people are traveling uh, more on cars and on interstates in heavier trafficked areas. And uh, as an urban area, it don't, don't necessarily have it as much. So it does skew it a little bit. I did think that that is a part of it. Um, but, you know, I think just in general, having a gun is going to automatically increase the chances of, of the, uh, you know, being shot. It, it, it is a weapon. I mean, that's what it's built for. It was built to kill. So, um, but, uh, but as far as the, I would like to see a better, uh, a, a study where, the, where they had more of a, a population that, that was more representative of, of different areas. Sure, like a more national study yeah. as opposed to a, a local, like one city. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm just thinking that too sure. as well. Or it was just like maybe if there were other environments they were also looking at too, like how fractals like comparing the two, like like versus a rural area. What about a more populated but still pretty rural area, like suburban area? Like there's just mm -hmm. there's a lot that goes into right. it. I mean, like or like yeah. how many people? Um, this is fractal. Like how many people? If we take a city like Philadelphia versus a city where there's a lot of wealth, but there's still a lot of gun ownership. Is there a lot of stories in a city with a lot of wealth or middle class wealth and gun ownership? I think that there's just too many variables that are not being considered. And so the study is kind of skewed and it is kind of like you went to Philadelphia, a city that's known to have black people and people of color. So it's like, even if it's not intentional, it just kind of gives a certain look. Right. And it's that, um, what is it? Kaza, what is it? Um, you know, it's the statistics aren't always reflective, like causality, um, 
you know, one fat like fat, this being a factor, like I don't know, it's this the idea that statistics can be skewed in a way where you know correlation isn't causation just because there's a relationship between these numbers and the representation of you know the community and like the number of gun ownerships and the number of gun related deaths. Is it you know is it strictly because of like you know, what's the relationship between the number of guns that are in the city? How many of those are legal versus illegal? You know, those types of things, I think, are definitely um, questions to ask, especially in a study like that. So well, right. thank you guys yeah, for sharing. Sorry. <laughs> oh, no, go ahead. Okay. Um, so Chantel here, as somebody, as somebody who spent many years in college, uh, like I, was studying under like biology and chemistry for many years. And um, something that you learn about in there is that like a truly well thought out experiment is where you can ice, try to isolate the, the exact, um, like the exact factor that you're trying to observe um, as much as you can. So that way it's like, well, could it just be due to some outside factors? It's like, no, you, you purposely want to set up your experiment as best you can to just look at that singular factor as much as you can, as much as within reason. So it's like mm-hmm. the fact that they didn't, they, it's just like, well, you know, people with guns got shot and it's like, yeah, but that's not taking anything into context. How are you narrowing this down? Like, um, right. You know, it's just. I mean, it might also be my own misrepresentation of it because the the quote is just you know the first little excerpt of the study. I didn't add in necessarily the the rest of the paper, which I'm sure might actually explain a little bit more of like the the parameters of the study. But I think those are definitely really good questions to ask when you do look at studies like this because of how these types of statistics are used to persuade people. Right. Yeah. You, I mean, I mean, having had to do a lot of research papers, <laughs> it was like, ah, uh, but this research paper I'm trying to source from has, is like 20 pages long. Um, where's the cliff notes? And it's like, okay, the very beginning paragraph and then like reaching the conclusions part as I'm like skimming over the rest of it. It's like, okay, I get it. I get what you're getting at, what you're measuring. Like, let's, let's see the results, see what conclusions we're drawing from that. And it's like, yeah, it's um, considering, like, don't get me wrong, totally respect people who got that kind of time, totally respect people in those fields who take that kind of extra time. Like, but I'm not one of those people like, <laughs> doing it for a living, so, so I can't. Totally. You're giving me nightmares of college having to read the research papers, too. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yes. <laughs> you need at least 10 sources. Uh, <laughs> Do you know how long some of these scientific journal articles are? Oh, <laughs> uh, gosh. I was at a research university, too. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. So, uh, moving on to the next question. Do you want to take that one? Yeah, I can absolutely do that. And just for the listeners, we actually provided a link in the description of the study for anyone who's interested in reading more about it. So, um, number four, do you believe the firearms laws are easy to follow and understand? And does the proposal policies of universal background checks put an undue burden on laws abiding firearm owners? 
or forces everyone to play by the same rules? And this question is going to go to Dana. Thank you. Yeah, this is Dana. I do not believe that the firearm laws are easy to follow right now because there are so many loopholes and because it is different in each individual state. Uh, because the states set, uh, there are some uh, states that have reciprocity with each, each other uh, for concealed carry licenses, which means that you can uh, have a concealed uh, weapon, you can carry a concealed weapon in the state that you took the concealed weapons uh, test and got licensed in. You can go to any of the other states that have this reciprocity with them and be able to carry that weapon, which, as you can imagine, is a problem. Um, because you can go get licensed in a state where you may not, you'll have uh, different laws that don't require a background check or don't require something, um, uh, you to take an actual test. When I got my, my concealed license in, in Texas, I had to take a written exam. I had to take a shooting test. I had to show proficiency with a weapon. But that's not the case in all states. So I think the laws are very um, unclear and need to be more uniform, which is why I am for federal laws that are at least clear on things such as background checks so we don't have loopholes uh, and such. Um, as far as, and I guess I already touched a little bit on the uh, policies of universal background checks. Now, it, now, it doesn't place any undue burden um, on law-abiding firearm owners. I mean, you have to go through background checks to get employment. You have to go through background checks, credit checks, all these things just to open a credit card. You have to go, you know, just for normal everyday business. It's something you go through all the time. So, no, it's not an undue burden. And, and if you, it's only an undue burden for you if you have something wrong, if there's something in your background. And in that case, you probably shouldn't have a gun. So, um, those are, those are my feelings on it. I'd like to hear what you guys say. Thank you for sharing that. That's some good perspective. It is open to the floor. Okay, Chantal here. Um, yeah, I, I'm... <laughs> it's a good thing that we were warned to mute when other people are speaking, because the whole time I'm just going, yes, mm, yes, that's great. I'm like sitting back here like clapping along, like, yes, tell them, Dana. Like, it's just like you said, like, I had to go through so many hoops just to get my job, like, uh, it's like, um, with, the like with a company, like with a more corporate company, it's like the first time I'm working at a, like a more corporate office. And it's like, yeah, you got to sign all these papers, you know, give us the last 10 years of employment history. And I'm like, what if I haven't been working for 10 years? <laughs> like, it's like, uh, do your best. <laughs> and it's like all this information just to be able to be eligible for the job, like to possibly get an offer and it's it's like yeah and, and that and I feel like I'm like you know we got so much information that the government already knows on us anyway it's like anybody who thinks like not nah, that they don't know me that I'm a totally private citizen it's like you gain access to certain freedoms by you know having to sacrifice some of that privacy if the information of course you know nobody's gonna dox like it's not to just dox people but like you know it's just that the, there is a price to certain freedoms that we have um certain rights that we have so it's just 
like yeah everybody's got to play by the same rules like like the the gun show kind of loophole where it's like yeah really not that much background checking from what i heard and it's like that's terrifying like that's how we end up with some of these shooting events is because like people just you know i see gun i buy it you know like with the private sales too and it's like uh you know it's it's just it's too easy in certain ways and i do agree there should be some kind of like federal standard because i'm sorry i didn't even know that there was such a thing as like you know only certain licenses like just because you get your license in one state like there's only maybe some that have reciprocity with each other like i mean i kind of could understand that but it's like oh shoot um better have a grant like an excel spreadsheet or something to know like which states you can and which states it's going to cause you a problem if you travel to and you don't realize you can't conceal carry there it's like uh so it would be nice to just simplify that and also yeah just like you said it's not really a burden on people who are doing it responsibly and being law abiding in their ownership it's just you know got to crack down on the ones that are you know the bad actors that that make firearm owners look like you know they're totally reckless and irresponsible cuz like there's plenty who are not right yeah right yeah similar to what you were saying about while well, Dana was talking like clapping and saying yes <laughs> yeah, me too i was in the same boat as well cuz like Dana you nailed it all on the head that was beautifully yeah. worded um I I remember having a conversation with a buddy of mine from Norway. Like he's from Norway, he lives in Norway, and we were having a conversation about guns and stuff and he's absolutely baffled by like the loopholes that we have here. And he says that over in Norway when it comes to gun ownerships, there are a lot of people who do own guns over there as well. Um a lot of them do use it predominantly for uh, hunting and such. but I kind of like their system. He said that in order to get a gun over there, they can't just go get their license, waltz into a gun show and walk out with an AR15. He said that um some of their policies over there and again, I if I do come across how it works, I can always link all that descriptions or all the information in the description box. But he said basically over there if somebody wants to get a gun, and there's a couple steps. First, they have to join their national gun ownership organization it's a national company and in order to get into the said organization they need a sponsorship from a current member that puts the responsibility on more than just one person and ends up if somebody does something crazy then they're like well who got this person in well it's this person here then the other things that he was explaining is that the only ones who can have the guns physically in their home are currently serving military members if they're not currently serving then the gun needs to be locked up in some sort of like i think some sort of like a safe or something that's at like a gun range and that's where it has to stay so it's it's kind of like a it was a very interesting perspective where it was like it takes the aspects of like what a lot of us are out here fighting for and talking about but it doesn't burden people like we were saying there are a lot of law abiding citizens i come from a pretty pro gun family um me and myself i this is not particular topic i really dive deep into but it allows them to have that gun to go to the ranges go hunting whatever they want to do but it doesn't leave it open to where it sits by the bed unlocked or right. 
runs that risk of it could be in the hands of kids or someone who is 16, like an AR-15. And AR-15s, by the way, from what I understand over there, you, you can't even get those. There's no rhyme or reason for them. Yeah. So it's like, I was going to say most European countries don't have um, access to any, any form of automatic rifle. Um, most of the time it's, you know, handguns possibly, and even that's kind of like iffy. Most of the time it's shotguns and rifles and it's just, it's strictly for shooting. Or, you know, say if you're, um, like, if you're far up north, like Arctic Circle-esque type areas where, you know, you've got things like polar bears or, you know, wildlife that, like, you have to, you have to make sure that you're, like, protecting your home from because they do encroach. Um, and that's like a safety thing, you know, that's one of those where it, it truly is like more of like a frontier, I would say, perspective on gun ownership as opposed to the, um, the, uh, the, the type of gun ownership that we have in the States, you know. Um, so, um, wrapping it up or, well, not wrapping it up, but moving on to the next question. Um, now that we've discussed like, um, your personal feelings on the gun laws in a more general sense, what are your thoughts on who should have access to them? Should anyone, regardless of age, gender, mental state, citizenship, have equal access? Why or why not? And, uh, we'll start that one with Chantel. Thank you very much. Um, so I have a pretty interesting perspective on this considering I have family members who suffer from different kinds of mental illnesses. Um, you know, like, um, and, uh, and as far as, I mean, I don't think that gender should really matter. Like, sorry, but if you're responsible enough, you're proficient enough, you understand the risks and understand how to care for one like it doesn't matter what gender you are but um but especially mental state i certainly am concerned about how young in certain places people can get guns but i wouldn't necessarily say like again if they're raised around it and you know they learn really well i know like like my brother got his hunting license quite early like he was taught around those kinds of things um like with my, along with my uncle, it's like, obviously if you're taught really well, you understand how to handle it. You understand the dangers um, and you understand how important it is to be safe. It's like, well, that's what matters. I, I think that um, what's really alarming is like people that cannot, um, like I feel like there should definitely be something to kind of um, regulate as far as mental state. I mean, we've heard time and time again how certain shooting events often are, you know, started by people who are suffering from some kind of mental decline. And it's like, well, the warning signs were there. Um, and it's really sad when it's like, you know, the signs were there, there were like calls to action from people who were concerned, but it wasn't, it was kind of just brushed off. Um, in personal experience, my, my younger brother who was learning how to hunt and everything, you know, he's now, schizophrenic and he has very bad delusions about things and it's like I'm sorry but like I cannot in good conscience like I know he was once asking for uh, a gun from one of his friends and it was like no don't you dare like you know he asked me about it like what's going on with him like is he in danger it's like he would be in danger from himself like there's no telling 
you know, sometimes he has delusions that literally everybody is in a plot out to get him. So, like, I could not imagine if, like, somebody who's, you know, doing something totally harmless, they're not even minding him, and they get shot because he sees them as a potential threat. It's like, that's not, it's not in any realm safe. And I do have a few other relatives like that who have, are quite delusional. And it's like, it, yeah, that would just, that's a recipe for disaster. And we need to be able to kind of monitor that. I know, like, if background checks are going to go really well, then I know he would be prevented from getting one, considering he's been hospitalized a few times for his schizophrenia. But... You know, if they're not paying close attention to that or they think, well, it's been a while, so he's probably recovered. It's like, no, there should definitely be like a lot more restriction there. Like you're really recovered. Like there's better be some kind of, you know, certification from the doctors on that. Um, I think that it's it definitely should be watched very carefully on that front. That to me is the most important on, uh, on who should be having access. It's like truly licensed you know, people that can, you can ensure would be safe with them. Sure. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing. That was, that was really, um, really lovely to hear that perspective. I know mental health can be a, a, it's a huge hot button issue, especially surrounding gun ownership. So it's, it's nice to hear the perspective from like, you know, a caring family member who like, you know, wouldn't want to see that um, affect their family in that way. Right, right. So, yeah, and it shouldn't yeah. really be like a controversial thing. You know, it shouldn't be stigmatized. You know, obviously we want what's best for him. And not to say like, we don't think he can handle himself. It's just like, he needs that help to obviously. But right. yeah, that's a totally yeah, other a more controlled environment. Yeah. Them. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's like, you know, that shouldn't be like so controversial to add into it. Like it does matter. And it's not just a little hot, like a buzzword to try to make the pro-gun argument invalid. It's just, it's a legitimate concern. Sure. Yeah. I think we've got maybe like 30 seconds left on that one. So if anyone has anything you'd like to add. Yeah. Um, this is fractal. I definitely take the mental health thing very seriously because um, I think that that is a huge deal. I just do hear a lot of people who will try to um, basically, sorry about the background noise, um, who will try to basically ban all people who have mental health issues. And it's like, well, should we go all the way with that across the board? Because what about the woman that has been in years of therapy and counseling from being sexually assaulted or raped and whatnot, or something like that happened and she has that gun for her protection? You know, she goes through a certain process, should she not be able to have a gun? You know, or a person who's been through trauma but has gone through the proper steps. So I just always wonder, like, when people say all people with mental health issues being banned, like, is that really the way we should go? Right. There's definitely a line, I think, you know, whether it's, um, you know, suffering from a traumatic event versus, you know, being considered um, like having a neurological disorder or um, a mood disorder that's more chronic. 
as opposed to like an outside factor and it being like a chemical imbalance. I think there's definitely um, something to be said for um, the line and where to draw it, especially in that in that capacity. Um, so moving on to the next question, nuance. I think you're up. Yep. All right. So for the next question, um, in your opinion, has there been different forms of treatment and advocating for people acting in self-defense from organizations such as the NRA and federal, state, and local justice systems in terms of race, religion, class, etc., i.e. the racial history, the Second Amendment? And this question is going to go to Fractal. Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, thank you for the question. Um, that, that the history that people brought up about the Second Amendment, when they talked about the militias, it wasn't just for fighting the British. It was also for keeping, like, my ancestors enslaved. Um, it was for people to be slave catchers. So the Second Amendment had a very huge um, bloody history to it. Um, and it's not entitled to everybody. I even remember when they tried to restrict Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. from having a certain type of gun. I remember Killer Mike, I think when he was on uh, Bill Meyer's show, talked about how they tried to restrict how, what type of gun he could have after his house was bombed. And, you know, he's a pacifist, but he did believe in defending himself and his family after that. Um, and Dr. Cornelius brought that up in his book, The Radical King. So it's, it's always interesting that um, when people of color um, or even people who believe in being um, for everybody's rights, um, people who have been typically known as um, progressive or on the left, you know, whether they're white, black, or otherwise, they don't get the same treatment as people who are moderate or to conservatives, centrist to conservative or on the far right. I remember that the first time they changed gun laws in the state was 19, it's the 1960s, 70s, when the Black Panthers came um, to talk about an issue on uh, the state capitol in California, and uh, then Governor Reagan banned those guns, you know. Because uh, you imagine what would happen if the riot had a lot of, the capital riots had a lot of black people, the one we just experienced. Or what if you had people, you know, marching with flags of ISIS and guns or Al-Qaeda, and they were Muslims, if Muslims have a bunch of guns, and they are American citizens. Um, if you are poor, guns are put in your community, especially in poor black and brown places. And so there's a stigmatism towards guns. When Philando Castile did everything he was supposed to do to say, hey, here's my gun, and he was nervous. He says, what do you want me to do? I, I just want to get the license out. He got shot. People who, um, my last one example is, I think there was another example of a woman in Detroit, Michigan, uh, some years back, where she had defended herself in her own house with the castle rule, and she still got arrested for defending herself. And the law is like you have to shoot to kill even though I personally would love to just be able to shoot and let the police arrest them. But that's the law. If you shoot them in your house, you got to kill them. And that just is, to me, just, I don't know, it's just something's really, it's always inconsistent and already never stands up for everybody. So, yeah, and the, the government laws just don't back you as, um, as Nuance said. The second question is, does the government have your back? Thank you for sharing that. Um... I think we've got maybe another minute left, so if anyone has anything else they'd like to add. 
Sure, this is, uh, this is Dana. And I, I agree 100% on that fractal. It's, there are different standards, and that's one of the problems uh, with what we have right now because it, federal, state, and local justice systems, yeah, man, they treat, they treat people of color, they treat people that are of the Islamic faith differently, even if they're trying to defend themselves. It's because of the perception that's been built up, partly because of the NRA. Because, um, you know, they're all about, hey, a good guy with a gun is, you know, take the bad guys down. Well, what, who are the bad guys in any of those things that they're talking about? People of color and people, and people you know, Islamic faith. So it's very, very much, um, you know, uh, rigged against people and, and were rigged for people of privilege, like uh, specifically white people and white men. Uh, so, yeah. There is a big difference uh, in, the, in the forms of uh, how these people get treated. Thank you all Thank for you sharing your perspectives. Yeah, we love hearing it. So uh, moving on to the next question. Um, so other countries don't allow their citizens, as we talked about earlier, to own firearms to the same extent. Um, some of those countries have had success in lowering the amounts of school shootings and have very humane policies on economics, criminal justice, labor rights, foreign policy, etc. Um, these governments, you know, th then there's, you know, the flip side of that coin, you know, speaking from an international perspective of, you know, certain systems that do oppress their people um, in every facet of their lives with the corrupt, you know, heavy military and police force that out arms the populace. So given that, um, where is the line between having genuine concern for self-defense from tyranny versus cultivating a dangerous culture of like unfounded conspiracy theories and violence like we've seen in the Capitol riots or uh, recent terrorist attacks? And uh, we'll shoot that question to Chantal first. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, it's it's complicated because because, yeah, on the one hand, you don't, like, it, that's the whole reason the Second Amendment was made was so that people, I mean, the the more under, I, w I would say the reason that we can all kind of stand by, at least, of, you know, being able to stand up for oneself when it's like, no, things are, are turning against the people that that our government is supposed to represent. Like, this is not is clearly a power that's trying to overwhelm us um, and we need to be able to stand up for ourselves like obviously there's there's a legitimate concern there but I at the same time I, I mean it's kind of hard to say that now in my opinion because I, it's like I grew up believing that you know maybe you don't always agree with what the government's doing but it's never gonna go so off the rails. Like you would think we've learned from history. We know what happens when the government is being tyrannical. But, but um, so like, I just grew up thinking like, yeah, maybe I don't always agree with whatever is going on with government, but I know at the end of the day, they're gonna right the ship and bring it back. Uh, like not let it go too out of hand. And um, yeah, things, I mean, I, time and time again, it's like, Clearly with this last 
administration, it's like some people are taking some of these messages, they're seeing some of this grandeur, and they just latch onto it and bring out, I think it brings out some kind of qualities in people where it's like, well, yeah, now it's like, obviously everybody was the enemy before. I feel like um, it's it's hard to distinguish the line. It's very, it's a very thin one, but, um, but I definitely think that, you know, better regulation would help distinguish that line better um, as far as making sure the people who are getting their hands on guns are, you know, they're, they're doing it for honorable reasons, uh, perfectly reasonable um, sort of what's, I, I guess the only word I can come up with right now is reasons, but, um, but yeah, I, I think it's very important to keep an eye on that and make sure that, you know, it's, especially when people are reporting to law enforcement, like, hey, you know, I, I, I listen to these, uh, maybe it's morbid. I enjoy certain, like, true crime channels and stuff. And um, and one of those is, like, listening to 911 calls that have happened and, you know, some of the aftermaths of those things. And there's a lot of times where the background is, like, hey, this family member did bring up to law enforcement, like, hey, I am concerned, you know, somebody is becoming more and more unhinged and I don't feel safe. I don't think that they're going to be safe. Like they show legitimate concern about them still having weapons in the house. And it's like, I, I feel like it's moments like those, it, you know, how many times has it been glossed over? And then we have a shooting, we have, uh, you know, we have a school shooting, we have this happen. It's like there definitely needs to be something to prevent that in order for us to not have to wonder, well, where is the line? It's like, like no, that it's just, it's there. It's a very strong divide and we're going to do what we can to prevent the unhinged side of things to happen. Um, this is Fracto. I kind of want to piggyback off of that. Um, cause this question is very perplexing for me as well. It's very complicated. Um, I guess some good examples of like when you, you need the government to, you need to protect yourself from the government. Um, I just recently found out this black history fact due to the protests we had this past 2020 over George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Aubrey and Jacob Blake and others, uh, that, most people don't talk about how in the 60s with all the civil rights marches that there were black people who were armed to protect the um the, the black people and all the white people and all those who were marching for civil rights from the police but the odd thing is is that when you talk about civil disobedience the ones who were actually breaking the law were um the police and the government because the supreme court decided that with martin luther king jr and Malcolm X, what all of them are do, doing and protesting was legal, was protected by the First Amendment. But the Jim Crow South um, racists and segregationists didn't want that. And so if it wasn't for those armed protesters, what we all saw in those videos with just the fire hoses and the dogs would have gone a lot, gone a lot further. So it's actually happened here in this country. So it's not a far-fetched idea that there's tyranny. I believe some people may feel tyranny based on the economic decisions during the pandemic because they've lost their businesses and their way of life. 
there was people that needed protection during these protests during the summer, and you had some very um, off-brand groups that are always consistent based upon their look. You know, nationally, they're based on their local chapter giving protection to vulnerable groups. So it, it is a it's a it's a very tricky thing, but I think that you're you're definitely hit the hit it is that if we have good standards on what is um, just not allowable, maybe that would clear some of that up. This is data. I'll try to be really quick. I just want to just make a couple of points here. One of the things that I think we need to think about is let's be realistic. Um, standing up to our government, even if you've got an AK, man, they got nukes. Yeah. They got drones. They got things. I mean, if it was different when this was first, you know, put into into, into the Constitution as an amendment, they didn't have things like they didn't have tank, like tanks. Okay, <laughs> like um, you know, it, it was more even. And they, they're, they're going to know what's going on. I mean, the problem in our government is that they choose who they actually want to target. They, people of color, black people, I mean, are specifically are targeted. When is the, whereas the Bundys go up and do some stuff and they, like, threaten, uh, you know, cops. And they're, they're not targeted. They're like, oh, well, let's let them get out of there. I mean, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's great, but, but it's a different standard. So again, it comes back to uh, the history. And so when we're talking about how, oh, yeah, we should defend ourselves, which we should, but the thing is, is no matter what we do, we are not going to have the firepower that our government does, period. They can shut us down no matter what. And I think that's where we need to focus on why do the police have these powerful weapons that were military grade coming against us. We need to regulate that. We need to make it a, a more fair thing. That's you know one of the things I think we, we really need to focus on because it's, it's not a fair fight. Like it, tyranny, yeah, with the stuff, yes, it is It is a scary thing, but yeah, we're, are we gonna win with our little shotguns and so, against drones and, you know, <laughs> you know nukes? Like, no, we're not, uh, and so, um, other countries have a better handle on that. Like I love the whole Norway thing because I have looked into that as well. They they do make sure that even if you're in in these certain you know areas, your gun is at a certain place. So it's not going to cause that kind of thing. But having this overwhelming power at the government level, particularly with arming the police as we have, that's the problem. That's the, that's a huge problem. We've got to fix that. Yeah. Thank you for sharing your perspectives. Um, I think we're going to move on to the next question here. Um, uh, uh, nuance, did you want to take that one? Yep, I can definitely do that. Uh, so the next question is, what do you want to see going forward in firearm education and safety, firearm policies and enforcement of these laws in conjunction with public safety? And I'm going to direct this one to Dana. Uh, thanks. This one? I have, um, I thought about this a lot, and what I think we should do, again, I'm going to come back to the cars. I'm going to come back to cars, uh, and that's because in order to drive a car, you are required to take a driving test, a written and driving test, you're, and you're also, um, you have to get a license to do that, and you also have to um, 
you know, do, well, to pay fees and all that stuff, but you have to have insurance. And why? Why do we do that? Why do we do that with vehicles? It's because people driving vehicles, a vehicle is a, is a, can be a serious weapon. It can kill people. You can get into an accident and things can happen. You can't be under the influence and, and drive a vehicle. You can't have, all, you know, there's all these regulations. A bit of, and why do we have that? It's because people get into accidents and, and they die when people are, are irresponsible. Guns are at least, if not more, uh, dangerous than a car in the wrong hands. So I would like to see going forward, this is probably not going to happen, but I would like to fight to see, to make sure that if anybody who wants to have a gun, they have to have a license and it has to go through the same, um, the same process that we do when we're having a car. You have to have a test, you have a written test so that you're knowledgeable and also a test that, that is actual, uh, more of a physical test uh, so that you can prove your proficiency with, with that, you know, this case a weapon, that case a vehicle. And then you're also held responsible. When something happens, you have the insurance so that you, when something happens and somebody is shot, even if it's an accident, the reparations are made to that person who was shot, killed, the family, you know, it, we need to be able to have that type of thing. I mean, right now we don't, but that would, that would, um, uh, you know, putting that, of course, people are going to gripe and complain, but it's no different than a car for me, uh, uh, of having to operate it. You can't, you can't have your gun on you if you are under the influence. And if it seems that this accident happened where somebody's leg was shot or whatever, and you were under the influence of alcohol or drugs or whatever, that's going to be a higher crime. And I want to see it prosecuted the same way. So that's my general idea. I, I'd be interested to hear you guys' thoughts on that, but I, I, I genuinely think that I, that's where I would like to see it go. So you want a FUI, firearm under the influence law? I do. Hell yeah. FUI. <laughs> yep. I respect it. I respect it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's a good idea. <laughs> But how do we make it? Definitely the uh, accountability, and um, I like the idea of we of just that we have to vet, like you know, people when you're given a responsibility, because mm -hmm. it's you know we think of it as a right, but there's also a responsibility to that right and how we exercise it in such a way. Oh. So, yeah, definitely. And if you're not willing to do those things, then you're not able to do it. So, you know, you, you can't drive a car if you don't have a license. Or you can, but if you get caught, then it's a, you know, punishable crime. Yeah, you go to right. jail. Yeah. I, I would, I would like to hear, like, if there's a way to make it affordable because you could, like, price poor people out of the system. Should it be, like, based upon the type of firearm you have, the higher the amount of insurance yes. it is? Um, yes, just like I mean, that's totally what it is for, like, with cars. Yep, try getting some car insurance in the city, and that's insanely oh, expensive. So it's yeah. like, you know, yeah. I think about it like that. It's like, I feel like it's the type of thing that might even be able to be, uh, you know, the more, the more regulation that you add to it, the more opportunity there is to price out people the, of different, um, different backgrounds or different class mm -hmm. levels. But, um, yeah, 
I think that's why there's a balance between over-regulation and under-regulation. Yes, I agree with that 100%. Yes. But making it harder for people who are strapped for cash, though we need to back it with economic policy, maybe that's a good thing to where less people will go and get a gun. It might, it may have the effect, may, I don't know, of lowering crime in impoverished areas, at least shooting victims, maybe, maybe not. Right. I mean, there's always a black market for everything. Oh, yeah. Um, I feel like that's uh, that's a thing that, I mean, maybe that's not, we're talking more about responsible gun ownership and legal gun ownership, so maybe that's uh, a topic for another day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Chantal here, I, getting back to, like, uh, as far as firearm policies, you know, because I think we kind of, we actually kind of skipped over that question by accident. But um, but as far as as far as uh, it's really important to me about what kinds of guns and what kinds of weapons that not only your average citizen is allowed to have, but um, who like what should the cops have? Like I know a while back I was kind of researching into like how back in the 90s there was that bill approved for for uh, police forces to purchase weapons from the Department of Defense because they had a huge overstock of you know military weapons it's like well yeah uh, the cops can buy it now of course most of it's just like you know ammo um maybe some like bulletproof gear um or maybe some like outdoors kind of equipment but there's also some of it that's just ridiculous like in the county i live in in macomb county why do we have an armored truck for the sheriff's department um, I don't know. <laughs> like, um, I totally understand why they have um, the canine unit and how, you know, they're trained drug dogs. You know, there are certain areas here where, you know, you occasionally get that. I know, like, in my personal little village, like, sometimes, you know, weed is a problem and in schools. And it's like, okay, yeah, for that, for the random searches I get. But, like, what kind of crimes are we experiencing in Macomb County, Michigan, where an armored truck that's basically a tank, a slightly faster tank without the gun on it to be used. Like, I've never seen it except in parades. Um, Or, you know, there are some places that have a legit tank or a speedboat or a submarine. Like, in what realm does a police department need a submarine? Like, I, I I don't understand. Um, I, I think there's just got to be some kind of reining that in because, like, yeah, obviously, if there's just crazy martial law going on and, like, you know, citizens are getting getting pushed down against some kind of militant, like, militant kind of coup, it's like, yeah, we don't stand a chance against a police force that's already strapped, like, a, its own branch of the military. Plus, you know, if they decide to call a National Guard who already knows how to use that equipment. It's like, obviously, the military should have that. But, you know, your police force, that doesn't make sense. And like, and like it was brought up earlier, like, who needs an automatic rifle? Who needs a machine gun? Like, I get your shotgun or your rifle for hunting or, you know, your handgun for self-defense. But nobody needs a minigun. Nobody needs a bazooka. Like, there, there is no need for that as a private citizen to have those kind of weapons, you know? So it's just like, I think that there definitely needs to be clear about, like, what people are allowed to get. There should be 
like, sorry, Department of Defense, I know you wanted people, like, police departments to be able to purchase that stuff so it wasn't such an overstock and, like, oops, we spent too much money, but it's like, no, you don't have to sell your tanks to the police. You don't have to sell your your huge, like, military vehicles and stuff. Like, you don't need, they don't need that kind of stuff. It's just a recipe for disaster. All right. Yeah. Um, Fractal, just to quickly round up, I think the three guns that we should have that are heavily regulated, as um, Dana and Chantel were saying, is um, a six-shooter pistol, because um, even handguns that are, like, they're semi-automatic and they can cause mass shootings, um, a shotgun for the house, and then, like, a hunting rifle. I think those are civilian weapons of, you know, self-defense, both home and just in case you're out on the job and there are some instances where you may need it. And then, uh, you know, food and provision. And those are civilian weapons. AR-15s and everything, they are um, basically weapons of war. We don't need those. And I think Norway does a great job. So, agreed. Yeah, thank you for sharing the, your perspective, guys. That was really lovely. Um, I think we're we're wrapping it down. Um, so, how do you feel sharing today? And what is something you liked hearing from our other guests, or something that someone said that touched you or struck you? And uh, we'll shoot that one to Fractal. Um. So just keep it brief. I enjoy just one hearing, just kind of a cool-headed talk about guns. Um, and just also the open-mindedness to consider all sides of the conversation to not necessarily look down. I mean, even though we all have our strong opinions on it, we at least engage with the idea. Um, I definitely was touched by Chantel's story. Um, it definitely hit hard and hit home, and I, I could totally understand that that's just something that you just don't get over. You know, it's something that you just can't switch on and off. So totally respect it. And I just appreciate all the openness and the seriousness of the conversation. Thanks so much, Rachel. Yeah, you're right. I, I can't switch it on and off. I had to play in a show where uh, like I had to be a, pretend to get shot with a prop gun. For, for an acting role, and the first time we practiced with the gun, I cried. I broke down on the floor and cried, and they're like, what's wrong? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> so yeah, thank you. I, I really appreciate that. And uh, Dana, did you want to add? <laughs> I know you're kind of pressed yeah. time here. Yeah, no, um, I just want to say, like, I think it's been a fantastic conversation. I, I love hearing everybody's perspective. Um, just like that, like Chantel, your your story, you know that that the the way that we interact with guns in our family, or or not interact at all, uh, has a huge impact on on how we uh, react and, and what our what our thoughts are on this. But to be able to have this perspective and have it to go through what you went through, and you know, still be able to have this, uh, you know, the perspective you did do has, has been well quite frankly amazing yeah um i i really you know i find more and more when i hear stories of that like it, it makes me understand why you know growing up around guns 
and not having to have any of the violence around it, around me, like using it for hunting. I mean, and we would be the same, like we would use the meat. I mean, that's how our family was poor growing up in Texas and we used meat. I mean, that's how we fed ourselves. Um, but having that traumatic event, like I completely understand. So your, your willingness to come on and talk about it, I think it's just phenomenal. Um, so, uh, and then hearing the perspectives of also Fractal as well, it's just been, I think it's been a great conversation. And I really, um, I, I really enjoy being on these conversations, and I thank you all for uh, putting these on so that we can have that discussion. Um, and with that, I, I do have to run to my next call, but um, thank you guys for having me on. This was, this was fantastic. Yeah, thank, thank you, you so much. Thank you so much. It's amazing hearing from you. Thank you for bringing us, And you know what, real quick, I did want to let you know that um, I actually really appreciate it. I was a little nervous when it was like when I was hearing your background I'm like oh no oh no it's gonna be bad like cause, like I feel like I'm the polar opposite like not to say that I'm totally anti-gun but it's like right. you know uh, in certain circumstances please and it's like oh I was really surprised by that and I was so impressed with your idea of like there should be insurance yeah like, oh why didn't I think of that yeah. like, that's amazing so that's one of the most surprising things to me uh, that really, really hit me. It was like, yeah, it should be treated like that. Like we are so regulated about cars, why not guns? Like that. Yeah. Um, That's why so we yeah, have these discussions so we can we yeah. can all like get together and know that we actually think the same thing. So exactly. yeah, that's what right. I was so surprised by is like how much we agreed on certain things coming from so many different backgrounds. And it's yes. like, yeah, uh, on like to hear that from you being raised around guns and you know being very comfortable around them, owning one. It's like, yeah, you would think that like somebody like you or somebody kind of in the middle like Fractal or somebody who's uh, very, very fearful like me, it's like, no, we're going to, it's going to be a, a hot mess. But it's like, nope, uh, it's, it's really not that complicated. And it's like, okay, government, you see, like we could, we could do this. <laughs> like, let's, let's all do this now. 100%, man. Yep. <laughs> all right, well, thank you all for being here okay. today, and uh, this episode will come out this coming Wednesday. All right, good night, y'all. It's good to talk to you. Good night. Good night. It's been such a pleasure. Y'all have a good one. You too. Thank you. Bye. Take care. Uh, Nuance, did you want to go through our outro really quick? Sure, Nuance here. Thank you, everyone, for participating today. We appreciate you and honor to have you on our show. Thank you all for sharing your perspectives and opinions today, and thank you for being vulnerable and open to new ideas. This is how we move forward as a society. We must be comfortable with being uncomfortable. And uh, Clarity. Yeah. We would like to take the opportunity to thank our guests for, um, uh, yeah, just your candor and just being so so refreshingly open to you know hearing other perspectives while also being vulnerable and sharing your own stories um tonight we had uh dana with the uh, tyt army and the uh, people's party uh chantel who's the um second vice president of the northern macomb uh, naacp chapter and fractal so thank you all Yes, thank you for everyone for being here today. Thank you to our listeners. We upload regularly our regularly scheduled episodes every Saturday and Hump Day PSAs on Wednesdays. Please like, share, and subscribe. You can find us wherever you listen to your podcasts.